Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our new series, Passion, today with a message entitled, Jesus and the People Whom He Loves. So turn to your Bibles to John chapter 12, verses 1 to 11, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I find it interesting that during the week in which Jesus came to Jerusalem to die, that he was constantly among people, and many of those people were the very people he loved. You know, it's hard to read John's description of Jesus' passion without reflecting on how frequently he is with his friends. Let's begin with John 12, verses 1 and 2. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. We have in this series already made mention of the fact that, you know, not too long before this event, it was in Bethany where Jesus had raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, lived in the same house in Bethany. But on that occasion, at least so it appears, he wasn't staying in the home of Lazarus. Because John mentions at dinner, we have to assume it was in a large home, a home that that could house a great many people who would have come to that area for Passover, but who also knew about Lazarus' resurrection and wanted to spend some time with Jesus. We don't know how many people came to that place, but I suspect the vast majority of them were the people who loved Jesus and the ones whom Jesus loved. You know, interestingly enough, both Matthew and Mark also tell of the same event, and they identify the home where the dinner was held. They say it was in the home of a man named Simon the leper. Now, we don't know anything about Simon the leper outside of the fact that, you know, that was his name, and therefore we know he was a leper, but there's a lot of conjecture about who he was. Some think that he may have been Lazarus' father and that Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, lived in that home because Simon couldn't live there anymore. You know, so his leprosy, at least so this theory goes, you know, had forced him into quarantine out of his own house. And I guess that's possible. Uh, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. And I, I think personally it's the wrong theory. You know, there is another theory which seems far more plausible, at least to me, You know, it says that Simon was one of those lepers whom Jesus healed. That seems likely. I can't imagine Jesus going to the home of a famous leper and not healing him. And so given that he was called Simon the leper, I mean, we have to think that the name actually stuck, even though he has already been made whole. By continually calling him the leper, even after his healing, it was, you know, as a constant reminder of his healing. And I think if we have that right, Simon the leper was likely a very wealthy man, and he must have had a very large home. And if if Jesus had delivered him from death, then, well, we have to imagine that when Jesus was back in Bethany, Simon the leper must have invited Lazarus and his family and the disciples of Jesus into the home, along with a good many other people from Bethany who had loved him as well. And it was there in that home that we see Jesus' passion for those whom he loved. It's Jesus' relationship with his followers. You know, in this case, John specifically mentions Martha. John says that on the day of that banquet, that is, on the Saturday before Palm Sunday, Jesus was reclining at the table with his friends, and then he mentions that Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead, was there as well as Lazarus' sister Martha. And says John, Martha was doing what Martha always did. She was serving everyone there. 
Martha's not in her home. She's in the home of Simon the leper. But the picture of Martha rolling up her sleeves and serving, well, that's the picture that many of us have of Martha. I mean, you might think of Luke 10, 38 to 40, and it gives us that, that enduring picture of her. It says, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. And and you'll remember that on that occasion, Jesus had told Martha to leave Mary alone. She had chosen the better option. That is, if it's a matter of taking care of everyone's needs or being taught by Jesus, it's better to be taught by Jesus. It doesn't mean that service is bad. And I've got to believe that Martha came to see that. I don't think that Martha believed that, that she had to be like her sister, only that she had to let Mary choose to sit at Jesus' feet. And, and she, like Mary, needed to give priority to being taught by Jesus. But Martha didn't stop serving because of that. And if we were to speak of her today, we would say that she had a spiritual gift of service. The second thing I remember about Martha is when her brother was dead, she heard that Jesus was coming. And and John 11 verse 20 says, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. So you have to imagine Mary. She has collapsed in grief, but Martha, she's also in grief, was making sure that things were taken care of. And when she heard that Jesus was coming, she was the first to be on her feet, out the door, going out to meet Jesus. Martha, if I understand her personality, is a woman of action. She's not a contemplative personality. Don't look for her to sit among the scholars and give a teaching on the nature of Jesus. She loves serving. It's what she does the best. And I have no doubt that's also how she worshiped, by doing something to serve her Lord. You know, if she took care of the meal, well, then no one else had to worry because everything would be looked after well. So let's get back to that Saturday before Palm Sunday. Jesus has been invited to dine in the home of Simon the leper. I have no doubt that Martha immediately contacted Simon and offered to help. But I suspect in her case, she offered to take over the entire catering of the event. She spent the night before Jesus got there getting everything ready. She knew how many guests, she knew how much food was needed. She had the best recipes. She, she probably knew where everyone was supposed to sit. So Martha worshiped by serving. It's who she was, and, and serving reflects her passion and her love for Jesus. But let's stop and make application. You know, over the years, I, I've marveled at the Martha types in, in every Christian gathering. They're the ones you find wearing an apron. You know, if, there, if there's a Bible study, they bring the food. If, if there's a call for someone to help with communion items, let's say, they take care of the details. I, I could go on and on. You get it. God doesn't call everyone to have the same personality type or the, the same spiritual gifts, but it is in practical areas of service that Martha shows her love for her Lord. But let's keep on reading John 12, verse 2. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. You know, I'm going to guess that neither Lazarus nor Simon the leper spent any time in the kitchen at all. For that matter, I don't think Mary was there either. But I can almost imagine how the conversation around the table would have unwound. Imagine Lazarus recounting the story of his own death. 
I'm going to guess that even though that story had now already been told many times, everyone there simply wanted to hear it again. And if I'm right about Simon, imagine him telling the story of his leprosy and then of his healing and how Jesus had given him life. I can almost hear Simon the leper telling of the day he fell tingling in his dead hands and feet and his flesh literally growing into mutilated hands. And Lazarus, I mean, how do you tell the story of hearing the voice of Jesus calling over into the land of the dead and death itself surrenders its victim to the authority of the man who now sat before them? I mean, this is no ordinary man. This, this is the Lord of eternity. And the people who are transformed by Jesus need to tell the story. That's passion. It's a passion that must tell how profoundly the ministry of Jesus has touched us. It's a passion that opens up our mouths. It's, it's a passion that says, you know, I was ruined humanity. Christ gave me life. So among the friends of Jesus, we, we see Martha with this passion for service and others with a passion for thankfulness as to how Jesus changed their lives. But then as the passion in the room grows, it now reaches a climax when there is clearly here a passion of worship. See, I think it's right to imagine that in the middle of these stories of miracles and changed lives directed at Jesus, in which one after another speaks, you have to imagine that you could hear a pin drop, and, and as every eye is fixed on Jesus, and just when it seems that, that not one word could be spoken more adequately than what has already been said at just that moment, I think the timing must have been exquisite. It's Mary who steps forward. John 12, 3 says, Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, there are several things that we mustn't miss here. Of all those things, please notice what she did. She had a pound of pure nard. And pure nard was a perfume that was imported from India. You get hybrid stuff, but the pure stuff, that was extremely expensive. It was a year's worth of wages. She was taking what might have been her life savings and poured them out at Jesus' feet. This month, we'll be featuring Dr. Neufeld's new series, Passion. This three-week series is focused on the Gospel of John chapters 12 to 14, and will take you through the study of the critical teachings of the Easter season. Join us every weekday beginning March 30th. And remember, you never need to miss an episode. All of our Bible teaching audio and video programs are available online at backtothebible.ca or for your convenience, sign up for the Back to the Bible Canada podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or download our free mobile app. This Easter season, journey with Dr. Neufeld into an understanding of Christ's sacrifice and victory that perhaps you've never considered before. For more information or to support the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. The most likely scenario in, in Mary's act of worship is, you know, this nard was kept in a seal jar and it was really not intended for use at all. You know, since we will learn that it would sell for 300 denarii, we know that it was basically one year's worth of wages. So you have to imagine if you make, let's say, $60,000 a year, 
Well, that would be a $60,000 bottle of perfume. I mean, would you be that quick to use it for any purpose at all? Well, if you were wealthy, of course you might, but not if you were of average wealth. It seems quite likely that this would have been Mary's insurance money or her life savings. If something went wrong, she could always sell this and still feed her family or take care of whatever needed taking care of. You know, the next thing that we should notice, well, this is according to Mark's gospel. She had to break the neck of the bottle. And I could almost picture her. I mean, the stories of Jesus being told, and she comes out with a bottle. And then in that crowded room, everyone could hear the bottle being broken and the expensive perfume being smelt in the air. Now, and this is so vital. Please understand what she did next. According to both Matthew and Mark, she poured the perfume on his head. But listen, there's a pound of the stuff. In the book of Mark, in Mark 14, verse 9, Jesus, in explaining what she did, says, She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for my burial. In other words, with a full pound of perfume, she begins by pouring it on his head, and then she just keeps on pouring. And it's running down his head and down his beard and on his shoulders and down his gown and all over his body. And then she finishes it off and pours the rest of it down onto his feet. It was Don Carson who believed that the perfume so over his whole body would have left Jesus smelling that way for the entire Passion Week. Indeed, Carson believes that this was the last lovely odor on the body of Christ when he went to the cross. And that was a constant reminder that he was loved and adored and he was worshipped. But Mary's not done. She loosens her hair, something a Jewish woman would never do in public. You know, some Bible teachers express shock over this because they say it had a a sexual component in it. But I think they missed the point entirely. Long before this event, there was another woman, and this one was a prostitute. I'm reading Luke 7, 36 to 38. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table of a Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Well, there's a parallel, isn't it? When Mary does this thing, not with ointment or tears, but with perfume, she's in effect identifying with that sinful woman. She pours onto Jesus the best she has and says, I'm not worthy to be a mere slave washing your feet, but I am moved that I'm given this moment. It was John Stott that said the following about worship. He said, our greatest claim to nobility is our created capacity to know God, to be in personal relationship with him, to love him and to worship him. Indeed, we are most truly human when we are on our knees before our creator. And that's what passion for Jesus inspired in her. It's a passion to be truly human, to bow, to sacrifice, to humble herself, and to exalt Jesus. She did it in the most creative and demonstrative way she knew how. It was passionate love. It was worship, sacrifice, a desire to express the value, the worth that she saw in her Lord. It's the best way she knew how to do it. You know, when we read about Passion Week, well, It has to excite Passion and his followers because we can't just hear the story of Passion Week and have no response at all. If we don't respond, we don't know the story. 
You simply must serve and praise and worship. But please understand, such passion for Christ brings about a response and sometimes from some surprising places. I've said that almost everyone at the dinner would have been a friend, but it was almost. John 12, 4 and 5. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why is this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? There was mocking in that. It's a common criticism of those who worship Christ. Look at the money you're spending, building a sanctuary, a place of worship. All of that could have been given to the poor. Now look, I'm not arguing we have no responsibility to the poor. I'm simply saying that there are some people who simply never get it. They want to know strategies of missions and activities and results, and they don't know anything of worship or a passion to fall at the feet of Jesus. I personally feel that we miss the boat entirely if we do things for the poor and do not preach and exalt and praise our Lord and Savior and call people to come to know him as Savior and Lord. If all we do is feed people's stomachs for one day but leave them eternally destitute, what then? You know, think of all the people who are Christians who do works of charity, who call for peace and justice, or who lobby even for political change, and are not proclaiming the beauty and majesty of Christ, then everything else we have done is a wasting of effort. I believe the only cause worth living and dying for is to know Jesus personally and to proclaim to all the world that Jesus Christ is King and Lord and Savior and God. He's not just a prophet, not a moral leader, not just a good teacher. He demands a passion that we befall before him and sacrifice and humble ourselves, exalting only him. We demand the passion of worship and simply resist the Judases who won't understand. Did you know that that Judas was not alone in his criticism? Matthew actually tells us that the other 11 agreed with Judas. And Mark tells us that many of the other guests at the table did as well. You know, sometimes well-meaning Christians sabotage worship. Let's keep reading. John 12, 6 to 8. He, that is Judas, said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Now, we aren't sure when it was that the disciples came to realize that that Judas, their treasurer, was in fact stealing the ministry funds. And I can't help but reflect on the contrast between Judas and Mary. In fact, I see three contrasts. First of all, Judas would sell out Christ for 30 pieces of silver, and Mary would honor him by sacrificing about 10 times that amount. See the difference? One thinks, how much have I got? The other asks, how much can I adore the Lord of life and death? (laughs) The second contrast is that both Mary and Judas will always be remembered. Mark 14, verse 9, Jesus says of Mary, And truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Indeed, you can't tell the story of the passion of Jesus without telling the story of Mary and of Judas. The story is incomplete without both of them. That's the second contrast. And the third contrast is to the role that both of them play. Mary didn't know it, but when she did what she did, she was in fact anointing Christ's body for burial. 
If D.A. Carson was right, then even in death, the pure nard lingered on his body, pointing to this exquisite, precious beauty of his death. Mary's role is prophetic. It pointed to the beauty of her Lord's passion, that he had come to Jerusalem to die. Contrast that to Judas. His betrayal of Christ was also prophetic, for he too played a vital role in the crucifixion of Jesus, for he opened the door to that crucifixion. But what a contrasting role, one an enemy and the other a lover of Christ. We move now to John 12, 9 to 11. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Justin Martyr once said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. He thought that when you killed a martyr, it was like whacking the head off a dandelion fully seeded out. The seeds are now scattered, producing untold more dandelions. So it is with Christ. In order to stop Christ, they said, let's kill him, not knowing that in killing Christ, they were fulfilling the plan of God. So here we are talking about that one sacred week in which Jesus suffered so. It's a week of hatred, but also of deep abiding love. It should be that way every Easter. Rehearsing the stories of Jesus during Passion Week ought to awaken our passion for service and thankfulness and worship. But we should not be surprised when the passion runs the other way as well. Jesus is simply doing his work. John, this is an interesting message because it conjures up some questions for me because in our day and age, doing good is a good thing, obviously, but sometimes in our walk with Christ, doing good isn't the best thing. (laughs) Yes. I mean, so, you know, because we're so deeds-oriented, you know, action-oriented, get something accomplished, that we would actually think that the most important thing that I could do is to bow down at the feet of Jesus, call him Lord and God, and find delight in him, and find new ways of honoring him, and express anything that I can in words to express my delight that I find in him. That to say that the worship of Christ is the highest virtue that anyone can accomplish, now that's saying that Jesus is worth more than everything else, and that's what we're saying. And so I would commend to everyone who listens, worship Jesus, nothing greater with your life. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Passion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Who could have known where the world would find itself today? Well, we know nothing is beyond God, beginning to end. We find ourselves in challenging days, unprecedented for most. We're experiencing uncertainty, more questions, I suppose, than answers. But take courage, people of God. He is faithful. In response to our global circumstances, the next five weeks, beginning March 22nd, Dr. Neufeld will be releasing a special video series each Sunday morning. This series has been designed to provide weekly Bible teaching, particularly for those who may not be able to currently worship with their church family. In this series, Dr. Neufeld will provide unique messages of hope found in Christ. Join us this Sunday morning at backtothebible.ca as we search God's Word for today. And if you miss a message, no worries. Prior messages will be available online or on our Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel. 
For more information, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.